This morning I want to speak about God's original masterpiece. That's the title, if you would. If I put titles on sermons, that's what I would put on this one, God's original masterpiece. And I'm taking our text today from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, in the New Living uh, Translation, in the NLT Translation. Our text for the day is, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the things, the good things that he planned for us to do long ago. We are God's masterpiece. And we've been talking about testimonies. We've been talking about the power of our testimony. And we started, well, we started last week, but we had a really good time in Sunday school this morning at 9.30. I would encourage all to come out. It's really fun. People are standing up giving a te- 5, 10, 15-minute testimony of who they are, what the, some things about their life. And um, some will go further as way to their moment of salvation, and others will do what happened last week. It doesn't make any difference. Your testimony is your story, and we want to hear it. And more importantly, the Lord wants to hear it. He wants you to speak it. So um, testimonies are powerful. And maybe some of the problem that we have with people with giving their testimonies is that maybe you don't feel like you're God's masterpiece. Maybe you don't feel that you're worth talking about. And maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe that's some of the issue that we have because we don't feel like there's anything going on in our life that people want to hear. Well, I want to talk this morning about being a masterpiece. I want to talk this morning about if you don't see yourself as a masterpiece, we're going to talk about that you are the masterpiece of God. So we're going to take the next few minutes and we're going to try to understand how God views us. Beginning at the very beginning, the very beginning, the Bible tells us that God knew each one of us before creation. Before he ever created you, he knew you. Before you were ever a twinkle in your parents' eye, he knew you. He knew your name. He knew who you were going to be. He had a plan for your life. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations or to your family or to the people that you work with, to the the community that you are part of. Psalms 139, verse 13 through 16, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. The psalmist goes on to say, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God has a way of knowing things because he doesn't live in time the way we live in time. He sees yesterday, today, and tomorrow as one. He sees it all. He knew us, he kn- and he knew you before, he were ever, before, he ever, before you ever took your first breath. God knew you. The question I have this morning is what form did he create you in? Who did he create you to become? Some questions maybe we've pondered for ourselves. What did he create you to do? Why did he create you? 
Do you, do you see yourself today? Are you today what God created you to be? If he knew all about you, it must have been important to him to create you the way he did. Have you ever spent any time thinking about that? Have you ever pondered these questions? Are they important to think about? Should we even spend the time thinking about these questions? Drew says yes. So because Drew said yes, I'm going to continue. Thanks, Drew. I believe that God wants us to know the answers to these questions. I think he wants us to think about this, and I think he wants us to, to understand why he created us. So I want to take the next few minutes to try to figure that out. If God knew us before we were born, in what form did he see you? In what form does he see you today? But to answer this, we have to go back to, first, we need to see how God created Adam. And I know this is very common knowledge to all of us. Genesis chapter 127. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So we're in the image of God. That means we must be pretty special. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. That's how man came. Where did Eve come from? Genesis chapter 2, verse 20. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. We can conclude a number of things from this passage in Genesis. It's kind of interesting to think about this. First of all, Adam was formed by God from the dust of the earth. And then God breathed life into this mound of dirt. And life was formed. The breath of God breathed into this pile of dirt. And he created life. Adam was created completely formed whole and intelligent. He was not born like we're born. He was formed a man. He was formed with intelligence. The moment he took his first breath, he was already who he was. He did not have to learn how to be human. He was created in the image of God already with intelligence. We see no record of Adam ever needing to be taught how to be a man. He was complete as he was created. And we see Eve being created in a similar, similar fashion from the life of Adam that when she was created, she as well was created perfect in every way with great intelligence. We also see God creating them to be together as a family unit. God united them in marriage that moment and that time he created them in marriage, and they became one flesh. 
never to be separated again. God instituted the, the institution of marriage when he brought them together and said, Adam, this is your helpmate. God ordained marriage the first day. And then lastly, we see the thing that makes us the most uncomfortable, and that is that they were naked, and they weren't ashamed. We get ashamed, we get a little embarrassed to even say the word, naked. But it's very important that we understand why they were naked, and why they weren't ashamed to be naked. The reason that we're able to be naked and not ashamed is because they had nothing to hide. They had nothing to hide. They were perfect in every way. They were sinless. They had no secrets from each other, and they had no secrets from God. God created mankind perfectly, without a flaw or without a blemish of any kind. They were beautiful, and they were unashamed of it. To them, there was no awkwardness or anything unnatural on their, of their condition to be naked even when they walked the garden with God. Even when God would come down in the cool of the day and they'd walk the garden, they were totally unashamed of their nakedness. Remember that man was created in the image of God. Image of God means perfectly like God. So that mankind could have the relationship with God differently than any other animal that he had created. Man was created uniquely to be in the image of God, and so when they walked with God in their, in their humanity, in their nakedness, there was no ashamedness. There was no embarrassment. It was a normal occurrence for God to come and walk through the garden with them in the cool of the night, and they were comfortable with that. God created them that way, man and woman, perfect in their unity, perfect in harmony, that they could enjoy the creation and the fellowship of each other and God without any hindrance whatsoever. What a beautiful thing. We just can't even comprehend that, can we? Because we all have our own little agendas, and we really don't trust somebody else because they might have an agenda, and they're clearly not going to see me naked. See, so you giggle about that, but you don't want to see that. Let's move on. But we see something, though, that happened to bring an end to this unashamed relationship. Something happened. Something happened that brought shame and embarrassment to their nakedness. We need to turn back to Genesis to see what happened. Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? As soon as they had something to hide from God, they were aware of their nakedness. As soon as they sinned, as soon as they disobeyed God, they were aware that they didn't have any clothes on and they had something to cover up. For the first time in their life, they felt shame and they were aware of their condition before God. That must have been a terrible feeling. 
It must have been a terrible feeling for them to recognize that they could no longer have that perfect relationship with their Creator. It must have been terrible. Sin, the act of doing what God commanded them not to do, brought immediate shame. They died spiritually at that moment. At that moment, spiritually, they were dead. Physically, they were alive. Spiritually, they were separated from God. And that relationship with God was severed. Forever, it was severed the way they knew it before. Thus, they covered themselves and they hid from God. All right, let's fast forward. What does that have to do with us? Well, we're all a byproduct of the sin of Adam and Eve, and thus we are all affected with that same disease called sin and death. Because of that, because Adam and Eve did what they did, we are now under the curse of sin from our birth, and we also find ourselves hiding from God and covering ourselves in the shame of our living. It's just our natural course. It's who we are today. So it makes me wonder now, When God saw me, when he saw you, before you and I were born, how do you think he saw us? Do you think he saw us perfect and naked like Adam and Eve? Or do you think he saw us flawed and clothed with shame like we are today? How do you think he saw us? I think think we can have a clue from what Scripture says. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight in love. I think God sees us in his love the way he wants us to be, holy and blameless. Even though I'm not born that way. Even though I am tainted with the sin and the death disease that Adam and Eve brought. I believe God sees us. He chooses us to be holy and blameless. That's the way he sees us. Now, let me ask the question. I don't want to confuse anybody. Does this mean that we are holy and blameless as a sinner? In our sin, are we holy and blameless? Or is that the way that God sees us as we are redeemed and transformed through Jesus? Let's read some more scripture. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verses 5 through 8. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, God sees us differently than we see ourselves. God sees the potential in you and in me to be holy and blameless, even though that we are cursed with, the, with sin. It's only through the love that he has that he's able to see through the junk of my life and the sin of my life that even though I'm under that curse, that he sees through it to how he created us to be holy and blameless. Now, how do we get that way? Well, we get that way as we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. 
And then we allow him to be our Lord. Savior is our act of salvation. Lord becomes our way of living. He saves me first as the Savior. And then he becomes my Lord when I allow him to be the master of my life. And I follow him day after day. He becomes my Lord. He begins the process of changing us into what he originally created us to be, that holy and blameless product has to actually happen on the outside of me and actually has to happen in me. Uh, the sad thing is that many people don't see it. Many people don't see it this way. And, and though God loves them unconditionally, they will die in their sin and their ugliness without ever seeing themselves the way God created them to be as his original masterpiece. That many will go to hell in their ugliness, even though God wants to see them blameless and holy. And he has every way to do it if they will only turn their eyes on Christ. Verse 5 says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This indicates to me that God sees me as he created me to be righteous before him. He created me that way. And it's that hope that does not put us to shame. Shame is the thing that we, what, what makes us hide. Hope is the thing that takes away that shamefulness. Because as I start seeing myself the way Christ sees me, I can now bear my soul before the Lord. That's kind of why I think the Lord led us earlier on this, this morning that to be honest before the Lord. If, if you think that something is too big in your life for God to handle, tell him. Tell him what you think. Tell him. Be, be honest before him. He knows your heart anyways. You, he can't hide from God. You got to know that when God called out to Adam, where are you? It's not that God didn't know where Adam was. It's just that Adam needed to know where he was. <laughs> Adam needed to know that he was hiding from God. God knew exactly where he was. God knows exactly where you are today. He knows exactly where I am today. So it's okay to be honest before him. In fact, you must be honest before God. And if you're in any way doubting God, tell him you are. He'll help you with that. He's not going to throw you out. You're his masterpiece. You're special. He loves you, and he's going to work with you. He sees us this way because he created us and what he desires in us to be even though we are already tainted with the curse of sin and death. So how do we get from that to what God wants us to see in that perfect potential? Again, we must turn to Scripture. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We have a choice in the matter. According to Paul, we are to make ourselves available to God so that he can change us, so that he can do the work in us. We have the responsibility to be a living sacrifice. Now, what's interesting about this terminology about being a sacrifice is that typically a sacrifice has no say in how it's sacrificed. 
A sacrifice doesn't, can't tell the person sacrificing, I mean, do it this way, do it that way. No, the sacrifice is the sacrifice. He has no control in it. It just becomes the sacrifice. So if I'm going to be a living sacrifice, we must go through the continual process of submitting ourselves to God as a willing participant without having a say in the process. I don't have the ability to tell God how to sacrifice me or the things in me. I am just a sacrifice. We have to give up control of the outcome. We simply submit as a sacrifice would and willingly give up our own efforts or control of what God wants and needs to strip out of my life. All of this is the transformation process of not conforming to the pattern of the world, but transforming my mind as a living sacrifice. See, physically we're still alive, but our spirit, though, is to be sacrificed. So in a way, our sacrifice is taking up our cross every day and sacrificing that old flesh man in our spirit of flesh on the cross of Christ. Mark chapter 8, 34 and 35. Jesus says, or is written about Jesus, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. See, it's in, it's in our denial of our own desires and it's, the, and it's in the acceptance of what God desires in us daily is that living sacrifice or taking up our cross. And it's interesting, when I looked at this passage, I didn't realize it before until I read it this week, but it says that Jesus called to the crowd along with his disciples. His disciples weren't Above this, his disciples had to learn to take up their cross just like the crowd had to learn to take up their cross. It's interesting that sometimes we think that maybe we, as older Christians, more mature Christians, maybe we outgrow some of the things that younger Christians have to go through. This shouts out to me that there may be some of us today that, though we would never admit it, we would never say it out loud, but maybe inside of us there's, we're thinking, you know, I am so much beyond the fundamentals of Christianity that I don't need some of this stuff in my life anymore. Because why else would God say he sh that he called to the crowd and his disciples? Take up your cross, guys. Every day, all of us. You're, you're included in this too, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You're included in this, guys. You have to take up your cross too. That says, hey, pastor, take up your cross. Hey, deacon, hey, elder, mature Christian, take up your cross. It's not just the new people. The process of being a masterpiece and being sculpted takes time and patience. Time and patience by the artist. Remember, if you were to think of, a, of an artist that was going to take a, a tree trunk or a, a, a piece of stone and create into it something, he doesn't do it overnight. It takes a lot of time to chisel away of that rock and to chisel away of those rough pieces. It takes much patience. 
on the time of the artist and much patience on the time of the thing being sculpted. If that's the case, it only makes sense then that the longer the piece is being worked on, the more closely it should resemble the desired outcome the artist wants it to be. In other words, day one, it just looks like a block of, of marble. But day 365, or three years later, or ten years later, if he's still working on it, that sculpture should look a lot more finished than the day he started. Right? It takes patience. It takes work. If this is true with a sculpture, is it not true with people? So mature Christian today, should you and I not be looking more like Christ than we did the day we started? Am I looking more like Christ every day? Are you looking more like Christ every day? Come on. If you're giving the sculpture the sculptor, time to work on your life, you should be more like Christ today than you were yesterday and a lot more than you were a year ago. But I'm not so sure that I am sometimes. And when I see the fruit of other people, I'm not so sure they are either. That's honest. Am I more like Christ today? I want to show you a video that helps us with a really good illustration of the sculpting process that God wants to put us through. Well, Larry's re-cueing that. He's got something to share. This is really good. No, you share it. Somebody told me one time that, you know, if you don't believe you're a masterpiece of God, you should. And um, the reason that you should is if everybody would open up their hands and look at your, your palm. If you look, you might have to turn your hand a little bit one way or another, but you'll see an M in the palm of your hand. It's there for everyone. You see it? There you are. You're that's, a masterpiece. That's God's way of stamping Isn't that cool? You see it? As a masterpiece. You see your, you see your masterpiece stamp? Have you ever, is everybody fine? Look at it, Mosey. You got one too. Everybody see your masterpiece mark? Do you see it? You got it? Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship, His masterpiece. I don't know about you, but when I get up in the morning and look in the mirror, I don't really see a, a masterpiece, you know? I mean, maybe a Picasso. It's like, <laughs> But I want to be His masterpiece. I want to be everything He created me to be. And so I go to Him in prayer and I say, Dear Heavenly Father, do whatever it takes to mold me into the image of Your Son make me your masterpiece. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hi. Whoa. Who are you? I'm God. You said the prayer, so here I am. You're not God. No, I am. You said the prayer. That's how it works. Okay, okay. If you're God, then uh, make it snow in here. You know what? I really don't want to make it snow in here because it'd get kind of yucky. Yeah, you're not God. Why do you say that? God wouldn't say yucky. I do. It's a Greek word. Oh. Okay, okay. Um, if you're God, what does Lamentations 15.9 say? Lamentations is only five chapters. It's a very short book. Oh, why was it so short? I was tired of lamenting. Oh, okay, okay. If you're God, who's going to win the World Series this year? I'm really not into playing games. Why are you so much into playing games? You are God. What well, gave it away? You answered my question with a question. I did? <sighs> yeah, I do that. 
don't I? I did it again. <laughs> Step right up. Here we go. Okay. All right. Hey, what are we doing? I'm going to make you my original masterpiece. This is the process. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. Wait, wait. What are these about? These are the tools I'm going to use to make you into my original masterpiece. Okay. Yeah. Hang on. Yeah. I thought you were a carpenter. That's my son. Step right up. Here we go. Okay. Oh, hang on. Mm -hmm. How do you know what to chisel away and what to leave? I take out everything in your life that doesn't belong there, kind of like dead weight. Ooh, speaking of dead weight, could you chisel right here? It showed up when I was in my 20s and grew around and became back fat. I don't even know why you created that, but I can't get rid of it. I mean, I've tried everything. Like, I tried running, I tried lifting weights. My wife actually talked me into trying Pilates. That was awkward. But I can't get rid of it. So if you would just chisel around here, and then, you know what, if you chisel a line right here and maybe four to five, maybe eight lines right here, that would be awesome. <laughs> You're funny. You made me that way. I also made the platypus. The platypus? All I'm saying is most of my children, when it comes to this process, they just want to talk, but they don't want to do the work. So do you want to talk or can I chisel? Talk, chisel, No, talk, no, chisel. no, 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 no. I choose to chisel. All right. Through my Holy Spirit, I'm going to bring up things in your life that I want you to work on. Like your anger. I created the emotion, but you use it in the wrong way. Um... Compare yourself to others instead of me. You tell little white lies because you want to people please. You're lazy. But you try to fool everybody by looking really, really busy. You have a problem with lust? Well, time out. <laughs> I don't really have a problem with lust. You don't have a problem with lust. No, I can do it anytime I want. Hang on a second. I mean, I, I gotta admit, I, mean, I feel like you've been doing some great work and I'm looking pretty good right now. All right, when you look in the mirror, who do you see? I see me. Okay, then I need to keep chiseling away because ultimately you and other people need to see my son. Okay, don't misunderstand me. It's just um, when I look more like Jesus, people get uncomfortable around me. I mean, even my church friends and they're like, oh, you're holier than thou, you know? And, and I, don't, I don't think I'm supposed to make people uncomfortable. So what you're saying is you'd rather play God in certain areas of your life than for me to be God over your whole life. That is not what I said. It's what you meant. Yes, it is. Um, it's hard to talk to you. You know everything that I'm thinking. I'm just saying you've done some great work. Maybe we take a break, a sabbatical from each other, you know. I'll stay right here and then, you That's know. That's just it. You never just stay right there. You're either moving toward me or away from me, but never you just stay. What you're doing is called control. Do you want to control things or life or can I chisel? Control, chisel, control, no, chisel. No, chisel, chisel. All right. But can we chisel where I want? That's called control. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Now this right here, this secret sin that you keep running to whenever you're hurting, angry, lonely, tired, that you think you're fooling everybody, but it's making you a whitewashed tomb. Are you ready for me to chisel this out of your life? Yeah. See, it's a process. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's your whole life. And you care so deeply about what other people think of you. It's rubbish. It's garbage. The greatest thing you're ever going to hear is at the end of your life, when you hear me say, well done, good and faithful servant, that's what you keep your eye on. That's the prize, heavenward. Oh, that hurts. Oh, trust me, this hurts me more than it hurts you. Right. Okay. I'm sorry. I just, I don't think you understand this pain. Pardon me? You're asking me to sacrifice a lot, God. Don't. Talk to me about sacrifice. 
I know all about sacrifice. I sent my son to die on the cross for pain, for sin, but I also did it for another reason, to give you freedom. Do you know what insanity is? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. And there are things that you've been doing for years, these empty wells that don't have anything to offer. You've been going to them and it's insane. Allow me to chisel them out of your life. Um, allow me to produce character where you keep focusing so much on your image. Okay, but I was thinking. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Okay, but if we went another way. Your ways are not oh, my ways. Oh, I can't. You can't what? I, I, I can't be good. That's your excuse. That's your excuse is that you can't be good. It's not an excuse. I can't. Oh, my child. In the beginning, I said it was good. I made you good. Be good. Yeah. But you and I both... What? Nothing. No, what is it? Nothing, okay? You wouldn't understand. I, God of all the universe, wouldn't understand something one of my children has to say. Try me. It's just, um, I let you down so many times, God. No, my child. You were never holding me up. I hold you up with my victorious, righteous right hand. Never the other way around. In this relationship, I hold you up. Okay chisel away just just be prepared for what you're going to find in there because I know who's inside there because I get up every morning and I look at him in the mirror and I hate who I see because deep inside there this 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 little kid who gets up every morning and dresses like an adult and I go out and I, and I try to do what I'm supposed to do, but I can't, okay? I can't be who everybody else expects me to be. God, I can't even be who I want to be, much less who you created me to be. And so inside is this scared, stupid little kid. But you chisel away. Just be prepared. You have listened to so many voices for far too long that were not for me. And you have totally bought into the lie, haven't you? You think you're junk, don't you? When you lay your head down at night after you've done the dance to get the hug, you think you're junk. Listen to me. I don't take time to make junk. How can I show you that my love for you stretches as far as the east to the west? That How can I show you that my love for you has no end? I know. Reach your back pocket. What? Reach your back pocket. Why? Are you arguing with me? Reach your back pocket. Oh, God. Yes? I just meant, God, I'll do that right now. You're just saying my name in vain. Come on. It's, it's a name. It's a saying. It's a name above all names. It's more than a saying. It's more than a name. I want to teach you something about my name. Reach in your back pocket. Oh, my gosh. You know what that is? Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a note. I, I wrote it when I was in college. How did you get this? Hello? Oh, yeah. Go ahead, read it. I love Angie. Other side. Sorry. Dear God, did I hear you right today? Did I hear you say that you love me? 
even though you and I both know I've messed up so many times. Did I hear you say you want to use me? And I feel so useless. If you'll take me and use me, then God, I give you all that I am. Take me. I love you, God. I love you too. And I love you too much just to leave you where you're at. This salvation that you hold, I don't want it to be some sentimental gush or some head knowledge. I want you to work it out in every detail of your life. And when problems come and chaos happens, don't look at it as a prison, but look at it as a father disciplines his child. A father disciplines the ones he loves. I know, but it's going to be tough. Yes, but you bought into the lie thinking everything was going to be easy when you gave everything over to me. There will be trouble in this world, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I want you to do something. I want you to look out there and I want you to say, Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Tommy is God's... No, not the way you see yourself or you try so desperately for others to see you, but maybe for the first time in your life, the way I see you, the way I created you. Tommy... Is God's original masterpiece. Yes, you are. And so are you. God doesn't make junk. You are an original masterpiece. This morning, I just want to take some time to reflect on that. Every time I watch this video, it just unveils some new things in my life. And I want to ask you the question this morning. Are you allowing God to chisel the things in your life? You know, he said in this video, I love you too much. I love you too much to leave you to your own devices. I love you too much. to let the enemy tell you lies about who you are. I love you too much for you to deceive yourself into who you are. Are you allowing God to chisel the areas in your life to make you that masterpiece that he originally had in mind or are you trying to control the chiseling? I think we're all guilty of that. Are you running from the hard work and the pain required to get the job done? This might sound good on a Sunday morning, but what happens tomorrow? What happens Wednesday? What happens Thursday? What happens with you on the job? What happens when you get home? Are you able to allow the Lord to do the work? And are you willing to get in and roll up your sleeves and do it with them? How can you tell if you're running? How can you tell if you're running away? If there's anything in your heart, if there's a conviction in your heart this morning and you're doing something to try to mask it, 
if you're doing something to try to cover it over, if you're allowing your mind to run to this afternoon because it's after 12 o'clock and we get out at 12 o'clock, you know you're running if you're trying to evade God's work or avoid it. Now, why this is so important today is that the time is short, and we really don't know how short, personally, for each one of us today. We know the time. We know the world's going crazy. We know that. But we don't know. We don't know about our life. And we don't know God's lasting power either. There is a time, just so you know, there is a time when God will start dealing, stop dealing with people that continue to reject him over and over and over again. The Bible says that. So this morning, if there is a conviction in your heart that there's work to be done and you're not willing to do it, you're running. You're trying to control the chisel. And you know that's not going to work. So this morning, as Jackie plays, just as I am, I want to open the altars, not for an emotional appeal, but for people that truly, truly want God to continue the chisel process. Jackie, let's play and sing this morning. The altars are open.
Now, this day wasn't intended to be a show for those that are more spiritual than others. I pray that this message settles in your heart today, that you never forget it, that this little video that burns into your mind and that you will never forget it, and that you will be reminded over and over and over and over and over and over again of God's chiseling process in your life. This is not just about coming down on a Sunday morning. It is a time of allowing God to have control and full authority in your life. Recognizing that if he doesn't, recognizing what you're really doing. Recognizing truly the road that you're on. This is really serious. Maybe part of your chiseling process is you need to go to someone and say you're sorry. Maybe you need to apologize for some things that you've been thinking about people in this church. Maybe you have an offense with some people that you just need to tell them you're sorry. Repentance is hard work. Repentance is not something that just happens overnight. Repentance takes work. Father, we just come to you now in Jesus' name and we thank you for your challenge in our hearts and our lives today. We thank you for your discipline. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you're not giving up on us. And Lord, I do pray that we will be men and women of character, that we will allow that hard work in our hearts and our lives, that we will allow you to chisel deep down in our heart in the recesses of our life that we thought we've covered over so well and nobody knows knows about it but Lord we know that you do and we say we're sorry help us now as we work on these areas help us Lord to work hard diligently help us not to give up in the process Help us to know how much you love us in the process. We thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.